Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshiamet Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Vayigash. What does it take to lead? Here's a question about leadership. Who do you think the greatest leader of the 20th century was? Wow. Um, well, I'm going to stick with American leaders, and I'm going to go with somebody who you would probably predict I might go with. I'm going to go with somebody who had no political power, was never elected to office, had no money, had no uh, established office, was never in a position of, of formal national leadership, um, but who led the greatest, I believe, um, grassroots activist movement of the 20th century. And I'm also somebody whose book I'm writing and trying to sell, obviously, here very heavy handedly. And that's Martin Luther King Jr. I think that um, when you when you consider where he came from, that he was, you know, a preacher in a small town, relatively small town, Montgomery, Alabama, who is thrust without warning and um, not seeking this job of leading the Montgomery bus boycott, um, and and yet becomes the, the, the leader of, who I think probably shaped the country more than anyone else in the 20th century, helping us get closer to living up to the promises of our founding documents to create a country that is a true democracy. I think um, my money goes on King. What about you? Who do you, who would you pick? Uh, other than King, I'll take him off the table. Okay. I, I would do this a little begrudgingly. I would have to go with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I do it begrudgingly because his his treatment of the Jews during the Shoah is disgraceful. Mm -hmm. And what he didn't do for the Jews was disgraceful. But I think he single-handedly, uh, not single-handedly, but he certainly helped this country during the Depression. And I think that the manner in which he led this country during the Second World War probably did more to defeat Nazis, the Nazis and Nazism, which could have been disastrous for the entire world, is something that we just can't turn away from. Despite whatever feelings I may have as a Jew, in my mind, he has to be at the top of the, uh, the top of the greatest leaders of poll for the 20th century for of Americans. Let's go back for a second. And let me ask you, if you were teaching a class on leadership, what would you say then were the elements of King's leadership that a good leader should emulate? Wow, that's a great question. Well, I think first of all, he had values that were um, that, that that he applied to whatever he did. Those values came from from his religion primarily. He believed in in the Bible and believed that his responsibility in life was to act as a partner with God in creating a better world, and and that meant spreading peace and love and trying to live up to the values personally that required that when you consider yourself, um, you know, a child of God. And those values really guided him. And I think that meant that people could look up to him and know that he wasn't doing this for himself. He wasn't doing it for money or for ego and that he had the best interests of his entire community, the entire world in mind. I think so that I think, uh, you know, a good leader has to be someone you can trust who you don't think is acting selfishly. Uh, who's acting for the greater good of, of his of his people. So values is high on the list. For sure. I would add another element here, which applies to King for sure, applies to Roosevelt, who I think it applies to every great leader. And that is a great leader has to believe in their cause to such an extent that they're willing to take risks. They're willing to put themselves in a position 
that could ultimately hurt them or cost them on some level. And yet they do it. They take that step no matter what. I mean, in Roosevelt's time, he was vilified during the Depression era. He was vilified by the American first people who were doing everything possible, often in collaboration with Nazis in America and Nazis in Germany. But they were doing everything to stay out of the war. And yet he did all of these things. And there were great political risks as well. And in everything that he did, there were easier routes to take. And certainly that applies to King as well. Yeah, constant death threats, uh, stabbed in the chest, home bombed. I mean, he knew that um, he was risking his life. There were people who were, you know, who made it very clear that they wanted him dead. And he, he felt like he had no choice, that this is what he was called to do and willing to, to, to risk his life and ultimately did give his life. So these elements of values and willing to take risks for the cause that you believe in are components of great leadership. And I want to apply this to the toll reading for this week. It's all about the character of Judah and Joseph. And the scene in the Torah is that Joseph, the grand vizier of Egypt, has taken Benjamin captive. And what's happening here is that Joseph is recreating a moment in time. The only other son of Rachel, Joseph is the one son, Benjamin is the other son of Rachel, is threatened. And just as Joseph was threatened uh, at the time of the throwing him into the pit or deciding to kill him, etc. And in the first instance with Joseph, Joseph was abandoned. He was allowed to be sold into slavery. At that time, Judah stood up and he said, oh, let's not kill him. Let's not have our brother's blood on our hands. We'll just sell him to slavery to the Ishmaelites. The issues with Judah go all the way back to the story of Joseph and his brothers when Joseph threw him in the pit. And at that time, Judah stood up. And he said to his brothers who were about to kill him, let's not kill him. But he doesn't say, okay, let's calm down, everybody. Let's save him. He says, let's, we'll sell him. We'll sell him to the Ishmaelites. If they kill him, mm-hmm. they kill him. But it, blood will not be on our hands. Yeah. So Judas shows himself to be transactional. On the one hand, he stands up and, and he stands as a leader. He does something. But there's nothing that, that he, he's not willing to have any skin in this particular game. He's not, there's not, nothing that's going to hurt him because his brothers are violent guys. And he knows that this could turn into something really bad. So he kind of just he, he, he threads the needle, sells Joseph into slavery. And then he, they come, the, all the brothers go back and with this bloody coat and put it in front of their father. And they say, do you recognize this? So they can watch their father suffer because these are the sons of Leah who watched their mother suffer. And so that's the precursor to this. Yeah, and what strikes me is that um, it's somewhat familiar, right? Like the idea that you protect yourself, that you want to retain your power, that maybe you don't make the... The, the the highly moral choice you make the practical one that's going to um, help you steer clear of controversy or conflict that's there's something 
that causes us that it seems more natural, more, more certainly more common. And it's the exception to the rule, the, the leader who puts that aside and stands up for what they believe in um, at the cost of, of losing power, losing face. That's why we're talking about Roosevelt and, and MLK, because they're among the very few people who were willing to risk some of their capital, some of their power for what they believed in. Right. I mean, remember Rosemary Woods, right? There's a name that, that sticks in your mind that she became the fall person for Nixon during Watergate. Oh, she erased these, um, you know, I guess her foot stood on the, sat on the pedal and she erased, you know, all these minutes of, of these uh, secretly recorded uh, sessions. But all throughout history, you know, oh, there was an aide, there was this one, this one is the fall person, right? So the leader never, the fingerprints of the leader is never there. There's always some underling that pays the price. And we see this in our own political system of this kind of never-ending cat and mouse game of not taking the risk, taking the easy path, and then claiming, oh, I didn't know that person. I never saw that person. We barely ever spoke. And it happens again and again. And people succeed in some ways by doing that. But their, but their leadership is always in question at the moment when their leadership is needed. Then chances are they're not going to rise to the occasion. So you know, often we we find out about these things afterwards, um, you know, how people behaved, um, because most of what's going on, most of this, these decisions in leadership are happening privately behind closed doors. You know, we have the Bible to tell us what happened um, in the case of Joseph. But um, interestingly for me with Martin Luther King is we had tapes. We had tapes of the White House conversations. We had tapes of King because the FBI was spying on him. And one of the most fascinating conversations to me was when King began to speak out on Vietnam and he gave this, I think, the greatest speech of his of his life in, in Riverside Church uh, beyond Vietnam, where he called the American government the greatest purveyor of violence on earth. After that speech, his top advisors, his most trusted men, his best friends, all call, called and told him they thought it was a terrible mistake. They said that it didn't sound like his own words. They didn't understand where it was coming from. It was going to destroy his relationship with LBJ. You know, ar arguably King had the greatest relationship any activist had ever had with a president. And, and he was blowing it up over Vietnam. And his advisors were telling him, this is wrong. It's a big mistake. What's the point? You're, you're sacrificing everything. The civil rights movement is going to go down the tubes. And, and King on tape, you can hear him saying to his best friends, after all this time, you don't understand me? You don't understand that this comes mm -hmm. from God? That I'm following the teachings of Jesus? That I have to be nonviolent? I've been saying my whole career that, I'm a, that, I, I'm, that I stand for nonviolence. This was not a tactic. This is my belief. This is my philosophy. This comes from, from everything I've been taught my whole life, everything that I believe in. Have you not been listening to me? And it's stunning to hear him crying out, to his best friend saying, you didn't understand me this whole time? It's an amazing story. I'm familiar with parts of the story. It's interesting, by the way, that Heschel, Abraham Joshua Heschel, was one of the people that pushed King on the Vietnam. Yes, and he was there that night when King gave that speech. That's a, that's a fascinating connection. But the point that you're making is so powerful, and it really brings us to this week's portion. So in this week's portion, you have this exact issue where Judah is presented with this moment where Benjamin has been taken by Joseph, who's the grand vizier of Egypt, and he's about to be taken again into captivity. And the only reason 
that Jacob allowed him to go was that Judah personally guaranteed his safety. And so what does Judah do? He makes a speech and he explains the exact situation under which Benjamin came. And he ends the speech by saying, for how can I go back to my father unless the boy is with me? Let me not be witness to the woe that would overtake my father. Right? Take me. Let the boy go. I'll go into captivity. This is the moment of leadership of Judah, where he's not trying to finesse. He's not trying to thread the needle. He's not trying to sort of just, you know, take credit for saving someone's life, but actually not saving their life. He is put himself at risk. And this is the moment that Judah becomes worthy of leadership. And for us who are from the tribe of Judah, Jews, right, Yehuda, this is all important. This moment of transition to true leadership is what changes the trajectory of Judah and basically the Jewish people. He becomes the paradigm of leadership, the one who's not only willing to speak of their values, but act on their values, even if it comes at great personal risk. Yeah. And what's so powerful to me there is that it's about what you do, not just what you say. You know, at some point, you've got to put it on the line and, and um, walk the walk. And that's what Judah's doing here, right? I guess at the end of the day, and this is the, the challenge we started with the whole question about what is leadership and who would you say is the greatest leaders uh, in the world today and the greatest American leaders, they're the ones who are willing to take the risk. But I, what I love what you said at the beginning was their values. And I want to come back to that speech that King gave in his response to the detractors and said that you have put our entire enterprise at risk and your relationship with LBJ at risk. At the end of the day, leaders have to have beliefs that are driving them, values that are endemic to their entire process of leadership. And great leaders do that. And for Jews and for Christians, that thrust is going to come from the Bible itself and the voice of the prophets. And would that we have more leaders today who are willing to take those kinds of stands, be those kinds of leaders, be those kind of people. Yeah, we certainly need to see more of it. You know, if you think about what's driving our leaders today, sometimes it's hard to tell other than their quest for attention for money for power it's so rare to find somebody who you truly believe in is doing it for their values and when you do get that kind of a leader it's a lot easier to follow the goal of leadership is not to stay in office great leadership isn't marked by longevity in a particular position at the end of the day it's what you've done and oftentimes the risks you've taken uh, for doing the right thing <laughs>